Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. To be involved this evening, there will be a participation grade, (laughs) and there will be a test afterwards. Make it to heaven. Just kidding. Just kidding. I can't do that. Uh, tonight, but uh, we want to continue in the book of Revelation. And we are about to get into some interesting territory tonight. And I want you to open up your Bible to Revelation chapter 12. Uh, does anyone tonight want to perhaps take on the unenviable task of giving us a little review of where we are so far in the book of Revelation. What we've looked at, and especially the last week, uh, what brings us to this point where we are now. Can someone give me a brief overview and what we saw in the last few chapters? Amanda's going to do that. Uh, last week we talked about the mighty angel. Can't that hear would, you. Last week we talked about the mighty angel that would come down. Um, there'd be a like his head would be uh, part of the clouds and the rainbow. Um, he would have one foot in the land and one foot on sea, um, and just kind of representation that it's um, he's going to have authority over all. Okay. And what was the angel uh, come down to do? Yes. Open the seals. Open the seals. Scroll. Okay. In addition to that, Alan. Basically, give a message to everybody on the earth. And what was that message? Uh, We don't know. Oh, very good answer. Why don't we know it? Yes, sir. Because uh, John was told not to uh, reveal it. He was told to seal it. He was told to seal it up because? Patrick? It takes place in our future, but then he was having a vision of it. Okay, and why is this still top secret information that cannot be placed into the Bible? Yes, Gabby? Because it tells when God's coming back? Because, yeah, because the message that he speaks uh, has to do with the day and the hour. And uh, there's another part of Scripture that says that no man knows the day or hour. Uh, But apparently the Apostle John knows the day and the hour because he saw it in the vision, but he was not commanded to uh, put it in his account. Okay, and um, let's do greater context. What, What is the greater context of what's happening as this mighty angel shows up? 
Remember that the chapters 10 and 11 were kind of a pause in the narrative uh, while something else was happening. What was the something else? Yes. Waiting for the seventh trumpet to sound. Ah, very good. So we're in the midst of a series of trumpet blasts that were taking place. And what does each trumpet blast represent? Marquita? Is it the coming of Jesus Christ? Well, all of it, of course, leading up to the the second coming of Jesus Christ. But uh, each trumpet, uh, what do the trumpets mean? Why are the trumpets important in this? Yes. It represents uh, the seven plagues, pretty much. Every trumpet that sounded, something bad happened to the non-believers. Okay. Now, there's also a number of woes that are uh, pronounced on the earth at this time. Does anybody remember how many woes are pronounced? Andre? It was either two or three. <laughs> uh, well, in a way, you're right. There was three woes that were announced, but we've only seen two of them. Uh, so it's interesting because in the narrative, it doesn't actually tell us what the third woe is. Uh, it's not explained, but uh, many people believe that what happens at the end of Revelation chapter 11 is the third woe. So what exactly, uh, we've talked about the mighty angel and... Um, and uh, how he came to make an announcement. We don't know what that announcement is. What's, what's, uh, what else happens in the, the chapters 10 and 11? Dave? Um, two witnesses show up. Before the witnesses. Marquita? Half horse and half man, I think. Oh, no, that, that's going back to a previous chapter. But there's... Um, there's something else that takes place before the two witnesses. Yes. Somebody eats a book. <laughs> yes, uh, eat the book. And so uh, John was commanded to take the book and to eat the little book. And, uh, and what happens with that book? Do we remember? Yes, Andre? Uh, it was uh, sweet in his mouth and sour in his stomach. Okay. Bitter. And you want to explain what that means? Yeah. Um, when it, like, it's, it was good until he digested what it really means that he was going to have to do. Okay. Yeah. And he was going to have to go testify. That's right. Uh, prophesy, yeah. Okay, and how does that relate to our lives today? Patrick? We love what's being told to us, but once we actually get a feeling for what it actually means, we kind of shy away from it. Very good, very good. Yeah, so we've learned a valuable lesson there. So then we jump to chapter 11, where we read about these two witnesses. What's important that we learn about the witnesses in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation? Yes, Andre. Well, one thing they was given, they was given power. Okay. Power for what? Uh, to um, destroy basically anything that came against them or anyone that came against them. Okay. And what were the two witnesses there for? What's their purpose? Yes? To prophesy. Okay. About a drought and something else. Yes? Fire coming out of their mouths. Yes, that's true. What, what, uh, why do they have a fire coming out of their mouth? Yes. Oh, you want to add, add to the? Well, like back to the, what you said at yep. first. Um, basically... They're there. I believe they're there because 
So, like, you know, after all the process, what they did, basically to give people another chance, like, like everything's about to happen. Like, okay, repent. yeah, very good. So the, the answer is in their name. They were witnesses. Right. Witnesses of what, exactly? Yes, Marquita? And for people who were, is it poor in poverty? No. So um, uh, in the Old Testament, there are laws about how to convict someone of a crime. One of the laws was that you cannot convict someone of a crime unless there are at least two witnesses of that event. And so this was a system of justice that was laid out by God for his people, but something that God, it's a standard that God holds for himself. So even when Jesus came to testify that he was the son of God, uh, he says, I myself am a witness. And he says also, my father is in heaven. My father in heaven is also a witness. And so he he, uh, claims to that same rule, that same law of uh, that there must be two witnesses to testify. And so, uh, same idea here, that God sends two witnesses uh, to testify to the world. By the way, what is happening in the world while all this is happening? Judgment. Against who? Against the devil. True, but more specifically? Against all the non-believers who did wrong in their life. Ultimately, it's judgment against sin. Right? It's people who have sinned against God. Okay, and so now uh, the, the two witnesses are prophesying. How, how long are they on the earth prophesying and, um, and continuing in this? Does anybody remember? Dave? I think it's, um, well, they're only, I was going to say three and a half years, but that's not how long they're there. They're only there for a short time, and then they get, killed and then they get resurrected 42 months the bible says they will tread the city underfoot for 42 months and i'll give power to the two witnesses 1260 days that is the three and a half years that we're talking about so you are on the right track okay so then what happens to these two witnesses yes noel they're they're martyred or they're killed killed by who by the antichrist it says, uh, when they finish their testimony, the beast ascends from the bottomless pit, will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And then what happens to them? Patrick? They get resurrected and brought back up to heaven. Okay, and what's important about this miracle? What's important in relation to the rest of the world? Yes, Andre? Everyone will be watching it. Yes, so the entire world will watch as they are killed. As they lay, their bodies lay unburied for three days, and then they'll be resurrected. And then what happens to them? Noel? Um, they're resurrected, but God tells them to come up to them. Okay, they ascend in, back into heaven where they came from. And now at the end of this 11th chapter, uh, we have the seventh trumpet. The seventh in the series of seven which announces what exactly? Who remembers? Patrick? The kingdoms of the world are now under one God. The kingdom of God is proclaimed on the earth. Now, uh, we didn't have enough time last week to really delve into that, 
too much, but I want to take just a minute before we get into chapter 12 to uh, share with you how powerful and how important this last trumpet is. In the scope of history, this is one of the most important moments that will ever take place. Okay? There are some important moments in the history of God's creation. Um, obviously, the creation of all things, the beginning. The arrival of Moses, very important. Uh, the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. Um, the kingship of David is an important moment. God puts his promise on the kingdom of David. Um, there's many important points we could look at. Of course, Jesus, as he comes uh, uh, as a baby born in the manger, the crucifixion, the resurrection, these all all in very important points. The day of Pentecost is a critical moment for the church. But this moment that occurs halfway through the last seven years on earth. Remember that the time of tribulation is a seven-year span. And we are now reading the seventh trumpet which blasts, and it marks a passage of time which is exactly three and a half years into this seven-year process. All right? Now, this is one of the most important points in all of history. And how do I know that? Because of what it says takes place during this trumpet. Did you remember what it said? In uh, uh, chapter 11, verse uh, uh, 15, the angel, seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now, we, remember, we're in the midst of this seven-year process where there's a lot of bad stuff happening on the earth. It's a system of God executing his judgment on the earth. So there's a lot of crying and weeping and wars and death and blood, and we're going to see some of that tonight. But in the middle of this tragic moment is this highly important point. Because this point, when the seventh trumpet sounds, is the announcement of Jesus taking dominion of the earth once again. Something that he has not had since the beginning. Right? Something that uh, was, was uh, stolen by the enemy. Uh, something that Jesus has been promising throughout all of Scripture. But this seventh trumpet marks the beginning of Jesus reclaiming the throne of this earth. And look at how it is celebrated in heaven. Verse 16. The 24 elders who sat before God and their thrones fell on their faces. And worshipped God. So that is critical. They sing a song of praise. And then verse 19, the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. There were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. So this is the moment when it speaks about in prophecy, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. This is the moment when all eyes will see Jesus. This is the moment that Paul described. This is the moment that, uh, that throughout these seven years, this is the beginning of Jesus establishing his eternal kingdom on the earth. So that's pretty important. Everybody got that? Any questions as we go to chapter 12 tonight? Okay, now... 
Beginning with chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, there is a series of three chapters, 12, 13, and 14, in which we are taking a break from the narrative of how these last day's events are playing out, and we are about to enter into some symbolism, some metaphors. These are, we know that because of the first phrase in chapter 12 when it says, now a great sign appeared in heaven. So John is now going to describe to us some visions that he saw. These are not events that are taking place on the earth. These are a series of metaphors and symbols. And so this, is, this can be a very confusing point in the scripture if you are going to take all of these things literally. The Bible is a difficult book. How many figured that out already? <laughs> because the Bible doesn't always explain to us what it's presenting to us. We have to figure that out. We have to be good students of the Word of God. So uh, I'm helping you because smarter people than me have studied these things. And uh, I'm using some study notes to help us tonight. But we can be confident that chapters 12, 13, and 14 are dominated by these amazing signs, these metaphors. But even though they are not actual events, they have incredible truths. How many know that when Jesus came to the earth, he used parables to teach us things? He used stories, everyday stories that people would relate to. Now, these are not necessarily stories that we can immediately relate to, but all these things are going to have incredible meaning and value as we read through them. And so um, what I want to do tonight, and believing God we're going to have enough time, is I want to get through the 21 uh, metaphors or visions, or what is called signs, in these next few chapters. So we're going to move quickly through them, and I want to just give you the basic uh, and give you time to study them on your own. So let's, first of all, examine the first sign that John gives us in chapter 12. And I would like someone to read uh, verses 1 through 6. Dave is going to read that for us. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there on one, uh, 1,260 days. So here again is that same number of days, which is critical timing in these last days, 1,260 days. That is our uh, common thread of three and a half years. This is a time, uh, what Daniel referred to as time, times, and half a time. And it's the same thought, three and a half years. So let's identify who these figures are. Can someone tell me, first of all, the easiest one, who is the male child? Jesus. Jesus is the male child. 
And so if we start with that premise, the male child who was uh, the, the, the dragon who stood before the woman ready to give birth because he wanted to devour her child as soon as it was born. So who was trying to devour the child as soon as he was born? Patrick? King Herod. King Herod. But who was inspiring King Herod? Yes? Satan. Satan. The, uh, and that's why he is labeled in our scripture as the fiery red dragon. And so in those, in those days, and as well in our days, a dragon is connected to evil, uh, and he's also called a serpent here in our scripture. And so he, uh, yes, so the dragon is a symbol for Satan. Then who, who do you suppose is the woman? The woman who is clothed with the sun, with the moon, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Andre. God, faithful people. God's faithful people who are? Believers. More specific. The 12 tribes of Israel, yes. So the woman is, a re, is representing the nation of Israel who gave birth to the Messiah, right? Jesus was a Jew. He was born to a Jewish family. His lineage was Jewish. So for all of history, God prepared the Jewish people for this moment to give birth to the male child, and uh, Satan wanted to destroy him. So that is pretty simple symbolism here, right? Does everybody get that so far? Um, the sun and the moon. Any... Um, any uh, ideas of what is um, being represented here by the sun and the moon and the 12 stars? The 12, 12 stars is 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, yep. Any other guesses? Do we remember uh, there, was, uh, there was a character in the Old Testament who had a dream about sun and the moon? Dave? Joseph. Ah, Joseph. And who were, in his dream, who was the sun and the moon and the stars that bowed down to him? Oh. Yeah. It was his brothers. It was his, the, yep. the, uh, the uh, Israel, Jacob's, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, there you go. So the yep. 12 tribes. And, uh, and, um, and so you had uh, uh, the father and the mother. And then you had the 12 tribes bowing down to Joseph, right? It was, we know that it had an immediate application to Joseph's life, that one day he, that his brothers were going to come and bow before him. And what do you know? It ended up happening, right? After he became the vice pharaoh in Egypt, and they came begging and pleading for food. Uh, but it also has a larger application, that the 12 tribes of Israel, that the, the ones that brought Jesus into the earth, will one day bow down to him, the nation of Israel, represented by the 144,000 that we met a few chapters before, that they will believe, finally, many of them will, will believe in the Messiah. All right? Uh, so any questions or comments there? We got the first one. Very good. Let's look at the second one. Um, oh, sorry. Let me, let me give you a few scriptures. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 27. Patrick, you're going to get that. Revelation 19, verse 15. Who's going to get that? Noel. And Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Who's going to read that? Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Uh, Amanda. Psalm 2, 8 and 9. Okay, so this is specifically about verse 5 where it speaks about the male child. It says that he was to rule 
all the nations with the rod of iron. So uh, this is an obvious reference to Jesus Christ, and we know that because of these scriptures. Revelation 2.27. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, and I also have received from my father. Revelation 19.15. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Rod of iron, there it is again. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Psalm 2, verses 8 and 9. Amanda. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. At the ends of the earth for your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Okay, so again, a messianic psalm. That is, uh, that is telling us who the Messiah will be. And in that description, rod of iron, all three of these refer to Jesus Christ. Okay, so we've looked at the woman. Uh, the woman re- represents the kingdom of Israel, the earthly kingdom, but also spiritual Israel. Those of us who have been born in people of faith as well. So then in verse 6, it says that the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. What is meant by that verse? Dave. I'm not sure exactly, but I'll take a stab at it. Okay. Okay. It, uh, it sort of sounds like when Jesus went into the wilderness, he, he was ministered to by angels and such. So, okay. So it's almost like God's going to... Um, as Israel kind of backs off of the scene when they realize that they've been, you know, betrayed by the Antichrist or something like that, they uh, God uh, uh, prepare, you know, ministers to them and protects them for the next part of the uh, uh, the uh, Earth's events. Okay, so let's focus in on the word wilderness. Can we think of another wilderness that has to do with Israel? Yes, Andre. Uh, when uh, the children of Israel, uh, God led them into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights. Where was it? 40 years. 40 years, yeah, yes. 40 they years. were in the wilderness yeah, for 40, 40 years. years. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, 40. But, but what's interesting about that is that God brought them out of the kingdom of Egypt, out of their slavery, and put them into the wilderness where they fled from the devil and God protected them there. So it's similar language here. So the, the place prepared by God that they should feed their 1,000, uh, uh, the woman fled into the wilderness. So this is a place of God's protection. And the reason why this is important is because halfway through this seven-year period, there has been a kingdom that has been rising up, a kingdom that has one ruler, the Antichrist. It is represented by the word Babylon. We're going to look at that in a few minutes here. Babylon is a city that will be resurrected, and from that city of Babylon is going to represent a worldwide government, but do you know who their number one enemy will be? Patrick? Uh, The uh, Christ and his believers? No. Noel? Israel. Anyone who is Jewish on the earth at this time, the nation of Israel especially, will be public enemy number one of Babylon and the entire world government. So as this time is progressing, there is more and more pressure being put onto the people of Israel. And so what God is saying here, this, in this parable, he's saying that he is going to protect his people 
in the midst of great persecution for those three and a half years. Everybody with us so far? Okay. Any questions so far? Let's look now at the second, uh, uh, the third sign, rather. So we looked at the, the woman, we saw the child, and now the third sign that we read about is beginning in verse 7. Who's going to read verses uh, 7 through uh, 12, Marquita? And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, and the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Okay, let's pause right there. So uh, this is pretty obvious because it gives us the answer, who this red dragon is. Uh, the dragon is... Uh, the serpent of old, called the devil. And we're told explicitly about him that, uh, that he was cast out of heaven, that there was a war between he and Michael. Michael is the only archangel that is named in the Bible. And so that sounds like a pretty big fight, doesn't it? Talk about family feud. Uh, Lucifer versus Michael. And, uh, and Michael wins the battle, uh, but not ultimately the war because... Um, uh, Satan and his angels were cast out. So um, let's see. Let's continue to, um, to read about him in verse 10 through 12. Do you want to read that? Yes. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accursed them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down upon unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Okay, very good. So, uh, so we get some, some understanding about the dragon and about the devil. And, um, and so, uh, is there, um, there, there's some interesting points here. We have in verse 11 that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So, uh, so what the Bible is showing us here is that, yes, the devil is a terrible uh, enemy, but that he can be defeated, right? And how is he defeated? With uh, two instruments, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so that's powerful. That's, that's something you can put to work today. Right? If, if the devil is messing with you, we have the blood of the Lamb, which washes away our sins. Uh, when, the, when the enemy, his, his, um, his name in the Hebrew literally means the accuser of the brethren. That's what the word Satan means. It, it has the idea of what Satan did to Job. Do you remember the story? 
when he, uh, he went into the courtroom of God and he accused Job before the Lord. He is the accuser. And he said, oh, no, God, this man, he only, uh, he only believes in you because of how much you blessed him. And so he was making an accusation. This is what the devil loves to do. And he continues to do that in your life. And so how are you going to defeat the enemy and his accusations against you? Well, you sure can't do it on your own. You can plead the blood of Jesus. That's right, on your mind, on your heart, your, on your soul, on your future, on your destiny, on your ministry, on your children. Plead the blood. The blood has power. Uh, but it's also by the word of the testimony. All right? So that's why, that's why I encourage every person to give a testimony. To be someone who gives a testimony. Don't be afraid to give a testimony. Because God uh, uses that. Not only to encourage people, but to bring defeat to the kingdom of the devil. Everybody with us so far? Okay, so the dragon is cast down to the earth. His angels cast out with him. So this is a combination of past events and future events. Because we know that when that battle took place between, uh, between Michael and the devil, that uh, at that time he came to the earth. But also this is... Uh, predicting the ultimate uh, defeat that God is going to bring against the devil. Okay, so then we have in chapter 12, verse 13, uh, let's read here, the woman who is persecuted. Who's going to read that for us? Verses 13 to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 17. Our mom will read that tonight. Now the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman who was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water. Okay, let's pause for just a second. And we're, we're kind of, uh, we're recycling imagery here, right? So we have uh, the dragon who is cast to the earth. He persecutes the woman who is Israel. And she gives birth to the male child who is Jesus. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness where she might, we just talked about this. This is especially during the times of tribulation. God's going to protect Israel. And the, the time that is given for a time, times, and half a time. This is direct uh, quote from the book of Daniel, where it's prophesying about the same time on the earth, and this stands for the three and a half years. Dave. The uh, wings of the great eagle, Yes, that, that's been said that that may represent America. Possible, yeah, you know, uh, because the, the wings of a great eagle, uh, so uh, obviously because our national symbol is an eagle, but uh, also that the, the great eagle shows up in symbolism for Israel itself also. Um, if you look into, uh, obviously there's, there's Proverbs, and there's, I think it's in Isaiah, where, uh, where he shall mount us up on wings like eagles, right? And he shall protect us. There's a, there's a, there's a prophecy in Isaiah about that. But this, uh, this time, the time, times, and half a time. So that's a year, two years, and a half a year. That's three and a half years. It's the same time frame, which is a direct reference to Daniel chapter 7, 
verse 25. Okay, continue to, from 15 to 17. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Okay, pause for a second. This is a unique point in, in the Scripture because nowhere else in Scripture does it talk about a flood that is caused by the serpent or by the devil. So we don't know exactly what this is. All I can tell you is that maybe there's some natural event, uh, a natural disaster that takes place as Israel is fleeing from the Holy Land into the wilderness that God has prepared for them. Could be a, 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 an actual flood. It most likely means some kind of metaphorical flood. Um, rather than a literal, there's some kind of metaphoric flood that is against them. Uh, but we, we don't really know. Okay, let's continue there. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring to keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, so because... The serpent, the devil, he attacks Israel, and he's unsuccessful. They still survive. Remember, the, all of the national history of the, of the children of Israel can be summed up. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. That's, that's basically the whole history of Israel right there. And so this is going to remain true even in the last days, that Satan and his world government is going to come against Israel. She is going to survive, and that's going to really tick him off. And so he is going to ratchet up the persecution. You remember how Pharaoh did with the Jews as uh, Moses comes in, and, uh, oh, I see, so uh, we, we, you know, um, it said that he, he increased their labors so that they would have to work even harder in the same amount of time. This is a picture of what the devil is going to do now in these last days. So it's not just the Jews, but it's also any believers that are on the earth, which there will be. Believers in that time, people who got saved after the rapture takes place. And the, the uh, persecution will become intense on the earth at that time. Yes, Mr. Andre. I was just reading in a commentary that also is going to actually weed out the true believers during this time also. Those who are pretending to be believers you wouldn't know at that time too. It's a great way to figure out who's right with God is when the persecution hits. Uh, when, uh, when the devil turns up the heat. And so, okay, let's continue going forward. Now we're going to look at the beast who rises up from the sea. Uh, let's get someone to read. Patrick, I was going to read verses 1 through 4. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw... Okay, stop right there. So um, there is a lot of discussion amongst... Bible scholars about what or who this beast is. We already know about one beast, a beast who is uh, known as the Antichrist, who is basically the one who takes control of the world power. But this is perhaps a second beast 
who comes from the sea. And uh, uh, when it gives a description that he um, had seven heads and ten horns, uh, on his horns there were ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. What do you suppose that is uh, a reference to? What does that mean exactly? Anybody want to take a guess? Heads and horns. Dave? Uh, These are most likely nations and kingdoms that will be, they're either already here and they're on the side of the devil at the time or they rise up during during these events. Okay, very good. So these are kingdoms and authorities. So basically who is under his authority? Uh, And so it gives us this description that he was like a leopard. Uh, His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power. So again, um, uh, I could make conjecture here, uh, but the truth is we don't really know what all of this means. Uh, But we do know that he is coming from the sea. We do know that he is empowered by the devil, having authority. But what is important is what happens next to him, verses 3 and 4. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Okay, so uh, this is is something that is uh, a pattern that we see about the devil. And the pattern is this. That he always takes what God does and tries to mimic it and mock it. And this is true when it comes to this beast who comes out of the sea. That he is mortally wounded. That it is an event somehow that he gets uh, hit in the head somehow. And that he resurrects from his wound, from his deadly wound. And when the world sees this sign, this miracle that happens to the beast, they will go all in in worship. They will go all in. People who couldn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but when they see this miracle, they will give all of their faith and adoration to the Antichrist and to the dragon that empowered him. Did everybody catch that? Okay, so... um, so that's, that's very important that we understand that. The world, the unbelieving world, this is important for us to catch. When people reject God, when people reject Jesus, it is not that they become anti-religious. In many ways, they become even uh, more religious, but it, their God is simply a different God. When you reject God, you will always turn to smaller gods. You will turn to the God of money. You will turn to the God of of physical pleasure. You will turn to the God of government. And you will put all your trust in these smaller and lesser gods when you reject the true God. And it is true of the earth in that time. They've rejected the God of heaven. And now when they see this miracle that occurs with the Antichrist, it's it's a false miracle. It's a false sign. But but they will go in 100% in worshiping the Antichrist. Okay, let's see what else happens with this beast from the sea. Verse 5 
through, uh, through 8. Andre's going to read that. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blaspheming. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and 2 months. 42 months. Again, this is another way of expressing the same period of time, three and a half years or 1,260 days. All right? And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blasphemy his name, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. We shouldn't pass over that because that's unfortunate, but it's true. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So that means that, again, this war that is being waged against true believers in those days, that that war is going to turn against them. And that God is going to allow that to happen. It's sad, but it's true. All right, let's continue. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain for the foundation of the world. Okay, and now here's the lesson that we're supposed to learn from this. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So this is, this is what we're supposed to learn from these future events, that we should have patience. We should endure. This has been the call that Jesus has placed before us from the beginning of this uh, book of Revelation is those who endure to the end will be saved. It's not those who uh, have a bad day and get a flat tire and can't come to church. It's those who endure to the end. We must pray for patience and faith to endure difficult things. God, uh, it's in God's plan and God's timing to allow this, even the people of God during this time to suffer under this uh, terrible uh, persecution. So, we, Dave, you want to add to that? Sorry, just thinking out loud here, but um, uh, it's talking about this uh, this kingdom that's going to, well, th- this uh, wound that's going to be healed on this yep. beast, right? And if we understand that those heads are probably kingdoms, yep. then that means some kingdom that was defeated is going to rise back Certainly. up, right? So we all consider it a great miracle that Israel rose back up after being gone for so many centuries. Yep. Well, and so the devil has to do something like that for the world to to uh, go, wow, look at that, you know, even though Israel did. I bet I know already. what it is. I bet I do too. I think it's the Ottoman Empire. But anyway, okay. Or, uh, or Babylon. I would say it's Babylon, Well, which could be expressed in, in the Ottoman Empire. So Babylon has been a dead culture ever since 500 B.C., dead culture in a dead city. It is in present-day Iraq, and just in the last few years, they've been excavating the ancient city of Babylon. So could it be that Babylon is going to be... Re- because Babylon is all over the book of Revelation. We're going to see it in later chapters. So it could be that. It, it, uh, it could be something literal that happens to the Antichrist, as I've described. It could be something metaphor, uh, metaphorically speaking, as in a kingdom. So we, we don't have an exact answer for that. 
So we can interpret that in different ways. But the, the, the thing that we learn from these uh, truths is, is, uh, is the same either way. So we have a beast that ascends out of the sea. And now we're going to meet another beast in chapter 13, verse 11. I would like someone to read verses 11 through 15. Caitlin's going to read that. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Okay, so let's just pause there for a second. So remember that God has revealed himself to the earth in a holy trinity. We've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the devil who aims to mimic and mock God, he also reveals himself in these last days in an unholy trinity. So we have the dragon who represents Satan himself. We have the beast who comes out of the sea, who is an antichrist figure or government. And then we have a third beast coming up out of the earth. And this is uh, this person or this uh, uh, could be, again, a kingdom of some kind, uh, is represented as the false prophet. All right? So we learn a few things about him here. So he, the, the main thing that we have to take away from this is that his job is to glorify the Antichrist, is to cause people to worship the Antichrist. Okay, uh, 13 through 15. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of it. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Okay, so I wonder that in our technological age, I wonder how much this has to do with technology. It said that the, be- the second beast was given the authority to make an image of the beast and that this image would, people would worship this image. You know, we're, we're living in a time now where everything is online. Uh, the AI... Is, is something that's going to be taking over our world here in uh, the next few years. Artificial intelligence. Could it be that uh, that's somehow involved? Maybe, I don't know. But the bottom line here is that the second beast is called to uh, uh, cause the, the earth to worship the first beast. This is the same pattern that we find John the Baptist to Jesus, right? I am not the, the Messiah he is this Messiah. I've only come to point you to him. This is the, the Antichrist John the Baptist, one who comes to announce the presence, to glorify him, to call, lead people and do miracles and wonders and obviously false miracles and false wonders to deceive the world and believe that the Antichrist is God. That's the goal. Do you remember what, what caused Lucifer to be kicked out of heaven in the first place? Arrogance and pride. And what was his desire? Well, he thought he could be like God. That's exactly right. And he told a lie to Adam and Eve in the garden. And what was the lie he told them? Patrick. 
That if you eat the fruit of the tree, you won't die. Yes, and you will be like God. You will be like God. And so this is the same lie that he has been telling us for all eternity, that if you will just live the way you want to live, you could be like God too. And the Mormons uh, propagate the same lie, don't they? That if you'll just be a good Mormon and you marry a Mormon wife and you make sure you get married in the temple and wear your holy underwear, that you one day, you could be a God too and have your own planet because they believe that the God of this planet was once a man. And that man was a good Mormon and married a good Mormon wife and got married in a good Mormon temple. And because he was a good Mormon, he was rewarded with the earth. So it's the same lie being propagated at the bottom of it all that, uh, that man can become God. And so in these last days, the whole, this whole kingdom that's being set up is trying uh, to make the devil in the place of God. And for a long time, for these seven years, it's going to appear very successful. Because when he gathers all of this power and prominence to himself, there's going to be very few who would try to deny that. And we're going to see why. Uh, Andre is going to add to that. I just want to uh, add, I think it's like, if you really look at it, and you look at it, it talks about these great signs, miracles, and wonders, right? So I think that's why it's very important to read your word, to read the Bible, because if you're not reading the Bible... You're going to have someone come doing these miracles and you don't have nothing to stand on with the word that teaches you that it's against these things. So a lot of people that's proclaimed to be Christians are going to follow because they are not rooted and grounded in the word of God. Very good. That's true. Okay, verse 16, we continue. Again, we're talking about the second beast who is uh, leading people to worship the first beast. It says that he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands, uh, who, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. All right, so let's talk for a minute about the mark of the beast. There is something about this mark, and they say that it is going to be on the right hand or on the forehead, and that without this mark, you will not be able to buy or sell. Now remember, this was written 2,000 years ago by the Apostle John, 1,900 years ago, give or take. Now he, ha- he could have no idea how that would ever happen. How is it possible that you couldn't buy something without a mark on your hand? Do you know why? Because all of society, uh, every uh, currency that had ever taken, that had ever existed on the earth was real currency. It was pieces of silver, pieces of gold, or it was a bartering system, right? That's how people traded money and goods. And it has been like that ever since. It is only within the last hundred years that a new system has developed. A new system of electronic currency. This is a new thing that has never existed on the earth before. The only way that something like this could happen is if there was no cash in the world. There was no way to to trade gold and silver. And so it is today, you know, that we have the technology already. The technology has been... Uh, put in place. 
that you can buy and sell without having cash. Okay? We have something called NFC, near field communication built into our smartphones. It's in your smartphone. If you have a smartphone, you have it. You might not be using it, but you have the technology. You can put your credit card or debit card onto your phone and you can go to Wawa and you can push to, I'm going to do it right now. You can push the buttons and it authenticates me and I can choose my card that I want to use and I'm ready to pay. And you can walk up to the little stand and it goes, and the money is transferred out of my bank account to the Wawa. I don't have to touch my wallet. I don't have to touch coins. I don't have to touch my card. I don't have to touch bills. I don't even have to touch the teller. It's all uh, wireless. It's all cashless. And so I'm telling you that because that has never existed in the world before now. And it won't take much until you don't need the phone anymore. Where all you will need is one of those near-field communication devices. You could put it in almost anything. You could put it in a key tag. You could put it in a keychain. You could put it in a grain of rice. Or you could just put it on the back of your hand. How convenient would that be? Have you seen that they're using this very similar technology for dogs and cats for identification? That it is possible to put a microchip inside an animal. And they can take a scanner. And usually it's, it's in their, their foot or near their leg somewhere. And you can scan the animal and boop! And a little device that can read the information where they were, uh, you know, where they were registered, who they belong to, and so uh, so it. What I'm saying is that it's not that far fetched. That down the road the Antichrist will use this technology that's already in place. It's already here, and he will say, if you want to be alive, if you want to be able to buy groceries, then you're going to have to take this mark. And you're not going to be able to buy or sell without it. Patrick, you had your hand up. It's an RFID chip. Yeah, RFID. And pets have it, and some people actually have it too. Mm -hmm. Yep, because you can use it to gain access to security. Uh, I know people high up in the governments can can gain access to uh, buildings and stuff like that. Uh, Caitlin, want to add to that? It was funny because before even all of the RFID stuff came out, Farm Fresh, it was about... Eight years ago, I think, is when I first moved here. They started scanning your thumb, your fingerprint, and that's how you could pay. You didn't need your card, or you didn't need to give them any of that. You just on the how convenient. I know, and we were joking about. It. We were like, "Oh, it's gonna be the, this is the end of the world." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that the doctor, they have something kind of palm reader now too. Yeah, Marquita. basically remember some girl Walmart and um I we were going I'm going grocery shopping and then she put her hand on like this and it scared me up to death that's what I remember seeing as her doing this to her hand and she just went out the door mm -hmm. okay Okay, so, um, so certainly the technology exists to make this happen, but what is the message about this beast or this mark of the beast? What would you say 
is the message that the Bible is trying to convey to us? Dave? Um, it's, it's asking for loyalty to one or the other. You, you either have, if you don't take this mark, then you are not, well, you're not going to be permitted to live, really. You're, you're not going to be able to buy, sell, trade, whatever. But, but really, without having a mark either on your uh, hand or on your forehead, people will uh, automatically be able to see, hey, that person's not marked. They're, yep. they're not, they, they don't have loyalty to the beast, antichrist, false prophet. So it's, again, it's going to be a terrible time to be a believer or to be a Jew in the earth because uh, they'll be the only ones who are going to resist this. Probably the only place on the earth where you're going to be able to buy groceries is in the nation of Israel. And so it's going to be a gathering. There's going to be a winnowing. People, if they can escape to that nation, that's where they will go. Possibly the United States, if we're still around at that time. Uh, we're not in the book of Revelation, all that. You know, we don't, we don't find that clearly. But uh, I'm saying all of that because it's going to become very clear. The world is going to be divided because of this. Noel? question um for like the last for chap verse 18 is the reason why the number 666 used because um man was created on the sixth day and god rested on the seventh day which a seven is a sign of completion but six could have been used as man's quote-unquote sign of completion so the devil decided to use that number Absolutely. So um, just like the number seven is God's number of perfection or completion. So the number six is, uh, is symbolic of man, which is close to God. There's no other creature who, who uh, is created in the image of God. Man was created on the sixth day. So six is the number of man. And if you multiply the three sixes together, you get six, six, six. And so that is like man uh, to the third power, which is what Satan is all about. It's man empowered to his maximum ability. So uh, that, that, we don't exactly know all the details about why this number, but it could have to do with the numerical system that is built into um, to certain languages. So the Hebrew language, if you don't know this, each number has a numerical value. So, like, if you take John's name in Hebrew, for example, if you add up the numbers in his name, the number of his name is a 1,000, uh, 1,000, I caught it, oh, yeah, 1,119. That's for the name John. <clears throat> Every word in the Hebrew language also has a corresponding numerical value. So, could it be that, uh, that the beast uh, has a name that just happens to line up with that same number, 666, it could be. We don't know exactly. But um, the point of this scripture is there is just like there is a mark that God puts on his people, on their forehead, the devil is a mocker, he's a mimicker, he doesn't have any original ideas, and so he takes that idea and says, oh, if God's going to mark his people, then I'm going to mark my people too. And without this mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell, you're not going to be able to participate in the one world government, religion, and economy. Dave. Um, and it's likely that, uh, that this mark will actually be some kind of permanent mark like a tattoo because right. Jews are not allowed to get tattoos if yep. they want to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Very good. 
Okay, so we're almost done. We've got about uh, 10 or 15 minutes to finish up chapter 14. Let's look now at the, the uh, 144,000. Again, we have this number representing the people of faith or the 12 tribes of Israel. So who I would like someone to read uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Noel, you want to do that? And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Okay, so we get a, a little pause in between these signs that, that uh, the Apostle John is explaining to us. And here in these f- first four, five verses of chapter 14, um, this is back on the earth again. So a lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000. The lamb, of course, is Jesus. Jesus. Remember, just a few chapters before, it has been announced that the kingdom of God is now on the earth. And so uh, the 144,000. This could be a literal 144,000 that he has gathered as an army to prepare for battle. It says that these are specifically men, because we know that because they had not been with women, they are virgins, and uh, they were redeemed among men. We, so again, uh, you know, we could make a conjecture, we could have ideas here, but we don't know exactly uh, if this is a literal thing or if this is still another sign. But uh, it could be that this is Jesus beginning to bring his people together to battle on the earth. These are the first fruits of God and to the Lamb, and in their mouth was found no deceit. They are without fault before the throne of God. Okay, and then going back to the signs, we see in verse 6. Um, let's read verses 6 through 8. Who's got that for me? Patrick. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give, him, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And okay, another, oh, go ahead. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Okay, so we have uh, two angels. Then we have a third angel, verses 9 through 11. Who can read that? Andre. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. 
and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of his name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Okay. And Jaylee, read that last verse, verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that may rest from their labors and their works. Follow them. Okay, so a couple of points that we bring away from the proclamations of these three angels. First of all, don't take the mark. (laughs) Bottom line, that this mark is sealing the fate of all who take it. By taking that mark, yes, you might be able to buy the groceries, but you are sealing up for yourself God's wrath and God's judgment, which we are about to see. Uh, The second thing that we learn is that uh, those faithful people who do not take the mark, that God is going to give them rest. They'll be persecuted. Many of them will die. But blessed are the dead who die in in the Lord from now on. All right. I saw a hand go up somewhere. No? Okay. So these last verses of chapter 14 is about to get real really real because God is going to start well he has already started but this is where God begins executing vast amounts of judgment on the unbelievers of the world I hope you're ready for this because this starts to get ugly okay let's read verses 14 through 16 who's going to get that for me Taya then I look And behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Okay, again, this is metaphoric language, but it's describing actual events. Um... Did you ever see the uh, imagery of the Grim Reaper? The Grim Reaper, who is an image of death. All right? So many people think that that is demonic or some demon who is putting in the sickle to reap the harvest of death. But in that scripture, it's describing Jesus who has a sickle and who's thrusting the sickle into the earth to take a harvest. This goes back to Matthew chapter 13, which I'm going to read to you. There is a parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. Uh Uh-huh. The wheat and the tares. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, 
Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? So a tear is essentially a weed, but the problem with tares is that they look exactly like the wheat, except that they don't have the, the grain at the end that is helpful. And so, uh, so the weeds are growing up along with the good wheat. Uh, they said to him, an enemy has done this. And the servant said, do you want us to go then and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So this entire church age for these last 2,000 years, that's what God has been allowing to happen. The wheat and the tares are growing together. The sinners right along with the saints are in the earth. And God has uh, allowed sin to remain on the earth, right? But Jesus described a time of harvest, a time where the wheat and the tares will be separated. And this is exactly what's being described here in Revelation chapter 14. Jesus is coming to reap his harvest. It's a harvest of a lot of death. Now check this out. We're going to finish this chapter. Verse 17, another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in the sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. Oh, man. And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. That's a whole lot of bloodshed. We're talking about a river of blood. A time when blood will flow through the street at a level up to the horse's bridle. That's like the bridle of the horse is where it's in the horse's mouth. How tall is a horse? You can look a horse's bridle right in the face. So there will be enough blood to fill up a street up to a horse's mouth. That's a lot of blood. Okay? So don't get the idea. I mean, we know Jesus is kind, merciful. He is full of grace and forgiveness. But when Jesus comes to judge sin, he's not going to be messing around. Jesus, with the help of these angels, is going to execute judgment. We're, uh, we're not talking about another angel here. We're talking about Jesus who comes down to do this. Jesus ain't scared to bring judgment on sin. All right? Patrick. So, I didn't know what a furlong was. So I looked it up. Yep. It was an eighth of a mile. Yep. And when he said 1,600 furlongs, 200 miles of blood up to the horse's bridle. Okay. Is that justified? It's a lot of violence. Jesus is going to be doing this. Is it justified? 
It is. The question is not, why is Jesus doing this? The question, the real question is, how come he didn't do it already? That's a good question to think about. Why has he been so merciful to these billions of people that have been on this earth that have cursed at him, spit in his face, and rejected him? And what he did for us 2,000 years ago. It's a good question why he hasn't done this already. Because we have deserved it. Jesus will be a physical man. His resurrected body will come down to the earth to exact this judgment on the wicked of the earth who have already taken the mark of the beast. He is not a little porcelain baby lying in a manger. He is not just the suffering servant who hangs on a cross. He is a conquering warrior who will avenge his name and will avenge his people from the world that has grown horribly wicked in these last days. And so the beginning, I mean, this is not the beginning, but it's, it's the continued battle between heaven and hell that is happening on the earth. Reaping the gra- grapes of wrath. Maybe you saw a movie called The Grapes of Wrath. This is where that came from. The imagery of the wine press. It's the judgment of God and the wine press in the same way that blood flows or that grape juice flows out of a wine press is the image of how blood will flow out of the city of Babylon. That's pretty serious. Let's bow our heads. On that day, it is more true than it ever has been. You will either be with him Or you will be against him. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that this is the end of the bad stuff. But again, I must say that it gets worse before it gets better. (laughs) It keeps getting worse and worse and then it gets really, really better at the end. But as we consider what is taught to us in the book of Revelation, it ought to make us sober and realize And when Jesus comes back to the earth to regain His kingdom and His authority, He will come back with a price to pay. He will come back to avenge His death. To avenge wickedness. He is the original avenger. And He is going to do it better than any superhero from a comic book. Because he will be exact in his judgment. No one will be able to to say that his judgment is undeserved. Because for all these thousands of years, he has been patient and kind. And the, the hope for us tonight is that this has not happened yet. Now, we can still turn to God in faith. We can still turn from our sins tonight and believe in this amazing Savior who is going to regain His authority over the world. We can do it now. We can bow His knee. We can bow our knee. Because the truth is, we know the Scripture says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The only question is, when is that going to happen? Either it happens now, when you willingly surrender your life and bow your knee to Jesus, or you can choose to rebel against God, live your own way, to do your own thing, say later for God, 
And then one day, one day, He will force you to bow your knee as He executes judgment on the earth. This is why we ought to feel so blessed and privileged to live in the time where God is showing us grace. His patient. For these many generations since the cross and before these events are going to take place at the end of the earth, we live in this window, this span of time where God is gracious. God is merciful. That God looks at the cross and says, that is penalty enough. The price has been paid. And you and I, we can enter into a relationship with a God who loves us and cares about us and does not delight in the death of the wicked. It's not like God is up there in heaven just waiting and can't wait for the day that He gets to exact all this justice on evil people. God is not willing that any should perish. But He desires that we would come to Him in repentance. And so tonight, maybe... Maybe it's time for you to surrender your life and bow your knee to Jesus. I'll give you this opportunity tonight to lift up your hand. You need prayer tonight. You're not right with God, but you want to be. Would you lift up your hand? Anyone here quickly? Quickly tonight as God deals with us. Let me speak to Christians tonight. We want to open this altar for a moment of prayer. We want to cry out to God, the, the same God who showed love and compassion and mercy through the cross is the same God who is going to execute judgment on this world. The same God who allowed the blood to flow from the body of His own Son is the same God who one day will cause the death of so many people that their blood will run down the street in rivers. The same God that we can speak to tonight and we, He will hear our voices We should not forget who we're serving tonight. And if God goes to such lengths to get rid of sin in the world, don't you think that He wants to get rid of sin in your life also? And that's where tonight we can come to the Holy God, the the One who wants to cleanse us and purify us by the blood of Jesus. I want to encourage you tonight to come to this altar and pray. Lord, I want to be on your side. Let's come together tonight as we... We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.